An animal welfare expert says there is nothing that could ever convince him live animal exporting can be safe. So why is the government considering reintroducing the practice? For that and everything else worth talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Wright and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This week's story is from the press and is called Double Standard. It's written by reporter Keela McDuff and is about the medicinal cannabis industry, how regulations, high costs and other barriers are relegating most people to the black market. Now here is Keela reading her story, Double Standard. MJ feels overwhelmed. Thousands of people depend on her, some to get through life, others to get through death. MJ, not her real name, sells cannabis edibles online. Her business, with its slick social media era product shots, zeitgeisty content and exponentially growing customer base, is illegal. It started slowly, almost by accident. MJ came to medicinal cannabis five years ago, desperate to help her son. He had suffered a brain injury as a baby due to medical misadventure and was left with profound disabilities. MJ says he was going through a really rough patch and none of the medications were working. We tried everything. He developed a neurological tick, which was really, really awful. She poured over social media and found parents overseas speaking of the relief their children had found through medicinal cannabis. Eventually, someone told her about a local illicit supplier of cannabidiol oil, CBD. MJ says... At first the guy was like, nah, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, please, help me, look at my child. Look at him, he can't function, he needs help. He agreed to sell me a bottle of CBD oil, and it was like night and day. My son woke up after sleeping for 16 hours, and his tick was almost completely gone. After that early success, a friend brought us some cannabis gummy bears, and MJ started tinkering, figuring out how to replicate them herself. Then she made some for friends. Then friends of friends. Suddenly, demand was so great, even taking time off during school holidays became a struggle. She says, the pressure you feel not to let people down is huge. Ideally, MJ would be running a lawful business. Legislation to develop a medicinal cannabis scheme, MCS, came into force in April 2020. This was followed by an 18-month transitional period to allow New Zealand companies to ready themselves for the new standards around production and importation of medicinal cannabis products. But nearly two years after that period ended, the complex regulatory and compliance scheme has seen companies fold, some doctors still reluctant to prescribe, and products remain prohibitively expensive, none are subsidised. A 2020 analysis by the New Zealand Drug Foundation found just 6% of Kiwis who use cannabis for medicinal purposes are accessing it legally. Most resort to the black market, where suppliers like MJ have been forced to operate in the shadows. She says, I've never sought out more work. I don't tend to post too often on social media or anything because I'm just so overwhelmed with how many people need help. Price is far from the only barrier. Drug Foundation Executive Director Sarah Helm says the CBD oil she uses for arthritis is about $130 a month, while alternatives, 
which she finds much harder to tolerate, cost a fraction of that. She's also experienced discrimination from the health system. She says, It's not just if you tick certain boxes. I sound and look like a nice professional woman and still face that same stuff. But Helm, at least, can afford the drugs she needs. She says, We do very much have a double standard where if you're able to afford it and are connected to the health system, you can opt out of being criminalised. So that seems incredibly unfair. The disconnect driving high prices, an unworkable regulatory system and abiding clinical suspicion of cannabis is embedded into our lawmaking. The Misuse of Drugs Act is nearly 50 years old and Helm says our thinking on the substances it regulates is still caught in 1975. Sally King, New Zealand Medicinal Cannabis Council Executive Director, says when that law was written, Muldoon was in power. The world has moved such a great deal and there's very little support for punitive approaches when we're talking about managing drug harms. King says New Zealand's medicinal cannabis scheme is gold standard but has led to some being locked out. While licensed manufacturers are obligated to meet the requirements of the Ministry of Health scheme, King says there's still a significant legacy market out there. That's pretty problematic for patients and manufacturers who are trying to stick by the rules, she says. The 2020 referendum on legalising cannabis for recreational use was probably our best chance to destigmatise the drug. But by a margin of 2.3%, it didn't pass. MJ was disillusioned by the lack of information and education on the issue she believes clinched the no result. MJ says, When people don't understand something, they fear it, and they will never accept something if they fear it. She incorporates educational material into her platform, which she sees as key to banishing the stigma surrounding cannabis use. I've started a thing called Weedication. People are really into it and love learning about it. We started really basic with the Indica Sativa thing, the two prominent cultivars of cannabis. But what's more important is actually the entire terpene profile and how it reacts with your endocannabinoid system. If it sounds complex, it's because it is. Scientists are only now beginning to understand the possibilities of the plant after generations of prohibition hindered research. The lack of funded products combined with limited education on cannabis and the endocannabinoid system in medical schools constrains how comfortable even sympathetic doctors are prescribing it. MJ found prescribers of medicinal cannabis she encountered often lacked knowledge of the drug, and she found herself teaching doctors about strains, terpenes, those are aromatic compounds that offer therapeutic benefits, and other nuances. She says, it's all about education. I'll talk about that until the cows come home. MJ now has several thousand followers on social media. All have gone through an identification process she feels would be be a minimum if her products were legal and have agreed to abide by rules relating to safety, storage, and other matters. Her client base grows daily as existing customers beg her to help friends and family. Honestly, MJ says, if I'd known what responsibility was involved when I started, I don't know I would have had the courage to go through with it. Once you hear their stories and you know that you can help, how can you not? Her customers include doctors, tradies and the odd celebrity. The youngest is 19 and the oldest, 87. Older women are her fastest-growing cohort. She says sometimes they say their grandkids gave them a gummy and they can't believe how much it helped. 
Others are holding high teas. Instead of having a few wines with their mates, they'll have wee plates of edibles. Everyone feels great and nobody has a hangover. Pre-season, you and I also talked about how it was very clear that everyone wanted to make this season exciting. They wanted to shape stuff up a bit. Do you reckon they're delivering on that? Yeah, look, I think the challenge for rugby right now is to get some of the limelight back. And so they've looked at uh, the way they want to play the game. They've certainly made some adjustments to the referees. The games have certainly been faster. I think you're seeing an effect on the teams. I think everything they've tried to this point has worked really well. We've seen way less TMO. And I think the world wanted to see that. But I think overall, I think everyone in and around the game is really, really happy with what they're producing. For news and sport that's worth talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you get your podcasts. Newsable Sport is proudly brought to you by Sky, your sport unrivaled. It would be like any other online business if not for the ever-present threat of prosecution. MJ described having a social media profile as terrifying. I never post my face, MJ says, and I try to scrutinise my pictures to make sure there's nothing identifiable. Despite the stress of the ever-present possibility of prosecution, MJ believes the difference she can make in people's lives is worth taking a stand, especially if it helps reduce stigma. But she's not flippant about the risk. I have a family, I have a child with severe disabilities I have to think about. The risk to me is huge, she says. I just think it's bigger than me, it's bigger than my family. She takes precautions, never disclosing her home address, and has stopped meeting people to deliver orders to put the needs of the many ahead of the needs of the few. MJ estimates between 75 and 80% of her customers use cannabis medicinally, with recreational users allowing her to subsidise products to the terminally ill once they enter palliative care. Her products are thoughtfully packaged in compostable plastic with a warning label, details on the strain used and the ratio of CBD and THC, tetrahydrocannabinol, cannabis's main psychoactive compound, and include balms, bath bombs, essential oils and a range of edibles. Many of the lollies, cakes and slices have a nostalgic bent, riffing off confectionery such as sour worms, gummy bears, K-bars and candy floss, and she's expanding her savoury repertoire. Building a small business on the wrong side of the law means each aspect has been more laborious and more expensive. MJ had to learn about everything from costings to accounting, food science and marketing without being able to seek advice. It also pushes up prices – makes it difficult for growers and producers to fine-tune and test safe dosages and targeted blends, and leaves some users at the mercy of gangs or others offering fake and sometimes dangerous alternatives. Carmen Doran, executive director of the country's largest medicinal cannabis producer, Hellius, says strict rules preventing advertising or discussion of availability and pricing by producers exacerbates issues with the scheme. She says, lots of people still don't even know that medicinal cannabis is available, let alone that there's a New Zealand producer who's making products right here in East Tamaki. Doran says the Drug Foundation's figures are outdated and there are no newer studies on the proportion of legal and illegal users. But there has been strong growth in the legal market, she says, with an increasing number of prescriptions funded by ACC, a handful since 2008, 
and private health insurance companies now reimbursing consultation fees. And the numbers of legal prescriptions are mounting. According to figures obtained under the Official Information Act, 30,000 prescriptions were issued in 2021, 60,000 in 2022, and that number is expected to at least double again in 2023. The legal medicinal cannabis industry could be a behemoth. Some modelling shows the export market stands to be as big as the wine industry, with $1 billion worth of potential. Doran says New Zealand really excels at this sort of thing. We're already pretty good at growing things. There's a great basis for genetics research, learning from industries like the kiwifruit industry and taking that knowledge and skill across into medicinal cannabis. Medicinal Cannabis Industry Association Secretary Abe Gray agrees the skill and experience of local growers and manufacturers stands us in good stead, but argues stifling the domestic market will hobble our potential. He says that Kiwi DIY know-how is great in terms of ag tech for the industry, but if we don't have the industry here, we're never going to develop the necessary technology to export overseas. The surge of overseas jurisdictions legalising cannabis could affect the much-vaunted export opportunities. We're never going to compete in export. Another 20 jurisdictions in the Global South have come on stream in the last year that have cheaper power and cheaper labour. Gray says the real opportunity is elsewhere. The market we have here, the domestic market of existing THC flower users, is worth billions and billions of dollars that are going untapped. Hundreds of thousands of people already find relief from cannabis, he says. They have sought it out, tried it, found it works for them. They're using it regularly and they're not out of it. They have jobs, they have families. All they need, Gray says, is to have seen a sufficiently destigmatized doctor to meet legislative requirements of legal use. In New Zealand, any therapeutic dimension whatsoever if a GP recognises the benefits outweigh harms, qualifies. These people are only illicit users because they, for whatever reason, don't know about their new rights or they haven't seen a doctor yet or they haven't seen the right doctor. The law can work relatively well from a patient perspective, but the costs and difficulties accessing New Zealand products is the result of the onerous requirements on growers and producers, Gray says. Overregulation is the new prohibition. The association wants more product classes allowed, such as edibles, that's where our Kiwi entrepreneurs really shine, he says, and fit-for-purpose regulation. Gray says, cannabis is more suited to a food-grade regulation. It's a botanical, a herbal medicine. It's like a supplement, not a pharmaceutical medicine. MJ2 has high hopes for the nascent New Zealand industry and believes the country could show the world how to do it right. In the meantime, she's focused on what she can do to help. I want to be in the kitchen. I want to be helping people. All we have is other humans. That was Double Standard on the long read from Stuff, written and read by Keela McDuff and produced by Jen Black. This episode was edited by John Robbiha. If you listen via our website, you can hear this story and more like it on the Long Read podcast, available on all the usual platforms. 
If you follow the podcast, you'll get the latest episode automatically. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz slash support. Prepare for an unfiltered journey through the harsh realities of infertility. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and I've been trying to make a baby with my husband. That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret. In The Human Race with Dan and Nadine Higgins, we share raw and unvarnished stories of couples who have faced the brutal truth of infertility. Unless you've been in it, it's, it's really tough and really lonely. Yeah, and also, this is really weird, but baby showers, you don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. Confronting the harsh reality that not every story has a happy ending. This very blunt, abrasive doctor who I had, you know, had not seen before, who delivered the news, just like, you'll probably never have a natural period again and you'll probably never have a baby. The Human Race, where we share the untold stories of couples in the race of their lives to create a life. I feel like I nearly missed out and I got to do it. And so I feel really lucky. So it's been incredibly positive. Listen today at stuff.co.nz slash the human race or wherever you get your podcasts. The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Elevate.